if you look at it, um, this has many facets. For instance, one is the alignment piece, as I would say, balancing the now and the new. Right, that's a manner top yeah. management decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might even say that's leadership job number one. Right, that balancing stuff. How can we ensure that the company not only exists today, but also tomorrow and the day after tomorrow? Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join me again. I hope you're having a great week. I was in a conference not too long ago and met Frank Mattis. And when he gave a presentation, I thought, this is really great stuff. And uh, then as I got to know a little bit more about Frank, I found out that he's he does more than just the topics that he was talking about on that one presentation. He's, he's really, I would consider Frank an expert in corporate business building. We'll talk about that. He's an advisor. He's an author. Uh, he's a thought leader, founder, startup mentor. So he's kind of got a lot of experiences that he brings together. He, he co-created something called the Lean Scale-Up Framework. Together with, he didn't do that alone. He worked with more than 20 companies and two business schools. And it's really offering best practices for creating profitable businesses. And so then he's a founder of the Lean Scale-Up Consulting Agency. Frank, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paul, and thanks for all the advanced praise. Let's see, <laughs> Let's see if I can live up to that. There you go. No, <laughs> high bar. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, Frank, it is. where are you joining us from today? Um, uh, the office is in uh, Wiesbaden, which is close to Frankfurt, Germany. So pretty much in the core of um, of Europe, if you will. Yeah, the core of an innovation, right? Innovation area, a lot going on around there. Yeah, that depends. I mean, uh, we do have, if you look at the latest country innovation rankings, there's some strong countries from Germany, the Nordic, Switzerland. Germany is still doing okay, but uh, not that innovation engine anymore. But obviously, if you look beyond uh, the uh, core Europe to the States, to the East Coast, to the West Coast, but also to Singapore, there's a lot of going on. But, but to see, my, my, my clients are more, say, uh, on, 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 a, on a singular basis, not countrywide, yeah. innovation leaders. So I would, my claim to fame is helping the innovation leaders coming even better. Companies yeah. like uh, BP or Philips or Telefonica, ING, Bosch, et cetera, that kind of companies. Yeah, and no matter where they are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're globally anyhow. Yes, right? they are. Yes, yeah. they are. Well, Frank, you know, when I was introducing you, I used this term corporate business building. You know, mm. What does that mean? What does it mean to build a business in a company? Mm -hmm. So maybe we'll just explain it with an example that everybody understands uh, from the audience. Take Amazon, which I think is um, the global benchmark in building new businesses. We, uh, You might be familiar with the story of Amazon, right? started out selling books and then they started out selling other product categories. Then they got the idea to turn into a platform, creating something that they called Amazon Marketplace, which is a business in itself, right? So if you're a practitioner and used to that um, thinking tool called the business model canvas, right? So if you map the customers, the value proposition, the way you create and deliver value and all these things, this is a new business that they created. Yeah. Then uh, around the turn of the century, they said, well, 
our um, IT infrastructure is not fully scalable for what we are up to. So we need to re-engineer the whole infrastructure. We made it, uh, need to make it into a service-based architecture. And here's the great idea. We let our customers pay for that, right? And that was the germ cell of Amazon Web Services, which has only little uh, touch points with those uh, selling books, et cetera. But that's a business yeah. in itself. And as I understand, the annual run rate is now 80 billions, eight zero billions of revenue. So wow. we can learn yeah. a thing or two from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And, and so when we use the word innovation, right? Innovation sometimes means new products, uh, but it also means new business models in this example, yes. right? What type of companies are out there saying, you know what, we, we, we need to create a new business or a new business model versus just staying in our core of, of products? It's a growing number, Paul. I mean, one of the stats that I cite uh, pretty often is uh, that um, some um, uh, 40% of CEOs are convinced that 10 years down the line, their current business model, meaning think about the canvas, the customer groups, the value, the costs, the revenues, is not sustainable anymore. So 40%, four out of 10. But but what, what you see is that there is a translation problem. It's a problem awareness. But if we look upon the stats, we may touch upon them later on. Only a tiny, tiny little uh, fraction of companies actually succeed in mm. bringing new business models to the market and turn them into a success like the Amazon Web Services that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Why is that? Why do you think such a tiny percent succeed? Mm -hmm. That's exactly the question that um, that I came across some five years ago. You briefly mentioned on that. At that time, uh, in a short sequence, a um, number of companies, I mentioned one, some of my clients earlier, said to Frank, our real problem is not the front end of, of, of innovation. Our real problem is not the idea space, right? We have more ideas than we can ever, ever implement. The problem that we are facing is uh, the business impact that these ideas or part of these ideas generate. Now, you can measure business impact in new revenue streams, but for some of the companies, take BP as an example, they say in 10 years, a company of that size wants to turn from an oil and a gas company into an energy company. So it's yeah. a transformational play. And so we went on a journey, and it's 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 not only Frank, but Frank working together with brilliant minds from uh, the likes of these companies, and also London Business School and UC Berkeley, etc. We try to understand what's going on. And some five years ago, when this whole journey started, Paul, there was nothing really out there. Yes, there was academia saying, mm -hmm. "Amitex thirty, you need to right. separate innovation from operation." Let's do that. But they never spoke some five years ago how to connect the bits and pieces to create an unfair advantage, to reintegrate a scaled up businesses and, and these kind of things, right? And the large consulting companies did not have it on the radar screen either, right? So we really did went deep. We started with a couple of case studies, some wins and predominantly <laughs> losses from these companies. And yeah. we came to the conclusion, this is the fundamental insight, that as a company, you have to solve a system problem, right? 
you have two value creation systems under one roof, one corporate roof. You have a system that deals with the day-to-day business, right? I call it the red shirt system because these people work in the red oceans, right? You know that theory, comparable products, battling for the same customers, uh, over the same channels, et cetera, highly competitive. This is where 99% of the people work in delivering uh, what they need to yeah. deliver in terms of sales, marketing, recruiting, procurement, you name it, etc. That's yeah. the one system. We know that this one system is very short-term oriented, quarterly figures, annual goals. It's very much process-driven, meaning an exact sequence of steps to be taken that ensure that yesterday's success recipe is being repeated over and over again, right? And uh, if you're working in such a system, right, you do not want to take any personal risks. You do not want to, you do not collect career points. But on the other hand, you have a, a different system. I call it the blue shirt system because these are the people that look for the blue oceans, right? And uh, if we just go back to that Amazon web service example some minutes ago, it took them 11 years to become profitable, right? That's quite yeah. outside the typical corporate time frame, right? And yeah. there are a lot of unknowns there. So um, the um, Sinofin framework that was created in the 90s t- tells you exactly what to do. Today, they call it agile, right? Build, test, measure, learn, repeat, and go along in here. And um, uh, you you in- inherently have to take risks. You have to dive into the uncertainties. So I think that makes it clear that these two systems are not compatible. And the problem is that the red shirt system, the day-to-day business, funds the blue business, right? The red yeah. blue shirt business, right? So if, if there is ever, ever a prioritization coming up, uh, the company will inevitably stick to past to success recipes and not going down the risky route to creating new stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you're really talking, in many cases, it might be, additional businesses like like Amazon, but it also could be transformational. My experience uh, with a customer was in the food business, you know, and yes. and uh, there were a lot of, you know, salty, sugary snacks. And now what the world is very interested in healthy alternatives, right? And so yes, yes. if you don't have the right mix or you, you never make that transformation, you become exactly. that very quick, right? So yeah, very similar, yeah. long time to get there, right? Long yeah, term yeah, exactly. transformation. And one thing that I would like to add is I think it's a very, very good example, Paul. Many people think that these new businesses are only about digital. No, this this example shows it's about the business that you create. Yeah, And it's not about being more or less digital and knowing how to spell blockchain and crypto. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, everybody talks about the digital transformation and it is happening. I don't deny that at all, but there's also other transformations happening, especially companies that take the automotive industry, right? It's, they've got to figure out how to be electrified, whether they like it or not, they're going that route, right? And if you don't figure it out, then you're, you're compromised. Yeah, and, and, and take one of my clients as an example, tier one to the automotive industry, right? They're looking at this development that you just mentioned and they do their forecast and say, we will lose X hundred millions 
of euros in the next five years because mm -hmm. of that. So how do we fill the gap, right? They feel the heat, so to say, to, to become better in building these new businesses, to compensate yeah. for the expected losses that comes from the technological shift. Yeah, and fast. They don't have 10 years, right? No, they have yeah. five yeah, yeah. So you mentioned a low percent, but do you do you know what the do you have a number? What did you guys yeah, find? Yeah, def definitely, definitely, and it's a sad, sad story, Paul. The success rate in building sizable, profitable businesses is three percent. So, in other words, to make that uh, clear, is twenty nine of out of thirty attempts from all of the companies and that our audiences is coming from fail. And now imagine that huge amounts of fundings and budgets that go into these corporate and innovation activities and to break out of the box, right? To create something new, et cetera. Wow, that's, that's a big, big problem. So how do we arrive at that yeah. figure? I think everybody knows that the um, success rate for a, what I call a greenfield startup, Paul, you and I uh, get together, think about a new pizza delivery service, right? Find some yeah. VC money and off we go, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's quite known that the success rate is around 10%. Yeah, higher. Now we find a couple of studies from the large consulting companies, the BCGs, the McKinsey's, the Strategy Ends, and the Baines, etc. And they find, surprise, surprise, that the success rate of corporates trying to come up with new businesses that at least hit the market is not bigger, is not larger. It's, it's 10 to 15%. Mm, I mean, okay. give or take a couple of percentage points. That doesn't uh, may, may make a difference, right? That's strange, right? Because if you look at, um, at, at the big corporate versus a greenfield startup, the corporate has all the goodies, the assets and the capabilities that the greenfield startup could ever dream about, right? Yeah. They've got clients, they've got a brand name, they've got sales channels, they've got a production, they've got certified suppliers, they've got tons of experts and patents, etc. you name it. They even, I mean, that's the latest trend, the AI stuff, right? They even got the um, uh, transactional data to train these models, right? Mm. So how come that they are not more successful, but it even gets worse, right? So this is the figure if we look from, from on the innovation journey, say from the idea to market launch, right? And okay. if we think about corporates, Paul, we all understand that the products we're talking about are safe, are regulatory approved, and then and, and they do yeah. what, they, um, what they promise to do, right? According to specs, et cetera, and all that stuff, right? So it's not that the companies do not, do not know how to create products, right? But it's about how to uh, at least launch a new business um, that mm -hmm. builds on these products. But now comes the interesting part. I mean, my definition of innovation, by the way, is capturing the value from meaningful insights via product services or business model. Now let's look at the capturing the value part, right? And there was an interesting study done, done by McKinsey that looked at the winners, right? The 10 to 12% of corporate startups that made it to market. And McKinsey looked at it saying how big that they actually become. And they put up a threshold saying 50 million of annual revenue, right? And they looked into how big is the percentage 
of new businesses that made it to market and then further on mm. became a 50 million plus business. And it turned out this figure, the second figure is 19%. Okay. So if you multiply 10 to 12% times 19%, you end up with a 3%. Aha. 29 yes. out of 30 attempts fail. Yeah. Not a good track record. <laughs> no. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. And so what do you do about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now we're coming to the to the meat. <laughs> the yeah. I like that. So if we go back to where we were a couple of minutes ago, we have two systems under one roof. These two systems are incompatible. We need both the systems, one to win the now to safely create the margins that keep shareholders happy, but also fund the innovation activities and creating the new at the same time. So we need a system solution to a system problem, right? Mm -hmm. If we take up the language from the automotive industry, we would say there needs to be a gearbox that can <laughs> connects these two cogwheels. But mm. uh, if we're in other industries, we would say, okay, a system solution. And it turns out, and this is the uh, great work done by these uh, companies uh, some five years ago and the two business schools that got refined project after project after project, is that these uh, this system solution plays out on three levels. Number one, it's an end-to-end -end journey in the process, and it's a process in a corporate context. So yes, the lean startup is good and fine, but as its inventor, uh, Steve Plank, would say, it was never designed for the corporate context. So we need to think broader and we need to think end to end, right? Building new businesses, aligning with the existing business as you take yeah. it to scale, reintegration, all these issues. Number two, it's a leadership issue. And if you look at it, um, this has many facets. For instance, one is the alignment piece, as I would say, balancing the now and the new Right, that's a manner, top yeah. management decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might even say that's leadership job number one. Right, that balancing stuff. How can we ensure that the company not only exists today, but also tomorrow and the day after tomorrow? Right. Yeah. There's also a famous story um, that probably audience has heard about the Kodak versus Fuji film story. We all know the Kodak moment. We all know what happened to Kodak. What few people know is that there was a company the same size, um, if you think about global market share, faced with the same challenge called Fujifilm. Fujifilm now today is worth 20 times as much as Kodak. Why? Because they build new businesses. And the CEO said, well, when we embark to build those new businesses, leaving behind the silver-based photography, right? It became clear that this touched the soul of our company. Who are we? And the problem even was, as Mr. Komori, that's the name, would explain is, it was not a journey from A to B, but it was a question from A to question mark. Mm, yeah. so, so it's also about the soul of the company. And like the that. third level of that system solution is the people level. Right. At the end of the day, you will have one red shirt coming, for instance, from the sales, uh, corporate sales functions to work together with one blue shirt, the corporate scale up. But you find these people have different cultures, right? On yeah. the one side, yeah. they ask for six weeks of holidays and 37 <laughs> hours of week. And on the other side, they burn the midnight oil. These are the main aspects. And obviously, it's much more operationalized below that. Yeah, that that's a fascinating perspective. You know, the I'm not going to say the red shirt 
decisions are easier. That's that's not fair. But I think they're more maybe more predictable. If I if I make these kind of decisions, it's a process we've been running for a while. We understand the metrics and then our expectation is as you were saying more defined, right? If you're going to bring this concept to me to take into asking me to invest 30 million in development, we have a high expectation of success, right? We we just feel better about it. And now the blue the blue decisions are just, I mean they're and not, not quite a leap of faith, but they are yes. they are really out there, aren't they? Exactly. Nobody said that innovation was easy. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you take this route in your career, obviously you have to uh, live with uh, tons of uncertainties. You always have to make decisions under uncertainty. And compared to the red shirt world, right? In many cases, there will not be any precedence at all, right? Yeah. So in the red shirt world, you can fl- open up the books and say, how did we decide last year, right? And then right. you get some guidance on what to do, right? That's yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. not so yeah. much possible in the blue shirt world. Yeah. So when you're engaging with companies around this, mm-hmm. is it is it step one to spend the time just, just kind of setting these fundamentals so they understand, look, it's not the same? Or, or, you know, is that a large, is it still kind of, we're at that part of the maturity curve yet where people are saying, I know I'm failing, but why am I failing? I think um, that that's obviously the good thing for the work that I'm doing. And I'm, I think I'm a little bit ahead of the curve. I think the market is now switching from problem awareness to solution awareness. Mm-hmm. Okay. We understand that it's hard, right? And uh, obviously it helps to have those metaphors, right? Those images, red shirt, blue shirts, and not lose oneself in scientific explanations, etc. But then uh, I see that there are two types of companies out there. Number one, let's take a practical example. That's a tier one from the automotive industry. My client is the head of the innovation centers. One of them is in Europe. The other one is in the West Coast U.S., and he said, well, I'm not now at the point where I think I should and could scale up two out of our four startups. Okay. The yeah. problem is that my organization, the automaker, right, is not prepared at all, right? There's no structuring, there's no funding, there's no governance, there's no collaboration model between the blue shirts and the red shirts. So yeah. what we did with him is we created a custom-made peer group where his senior management, C-suite plus C minus one, was discussing with their peers from company who already made that transition, right? So what did you do? What did you learn? Why did you do X? And what do you think about Y? These kind of discussions, right? To build up the um, awareness, number one, we're not mm-hmm. alone with the uh, struggles that we're facing. Yeah. And number two is there seems to be a solution out there and let's spend our energy more on creating that solution, which is the second type of clients that I work with, right? We start with an assessment. Typically, they're using a lot of the lean startup methodology and lose sight of where exactly their venture is standing. Yeah. So we help them to pinpoint, we analyze the frameworks that they're using, and we also have a look at the business building infrastructure that the lean scale-up spells out 12 modules, but that would take us too far, Paul. Yeah, right, 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 right. But this is, I mean, this is great. I'm glad you kind of described those two pieces. I mean, the listeners out there are mm-hmm. saying, we need help. You just put a good framework in, well, what type of help do I need? Where do I start? 
which mm-hmm. was which mm-hmm. was really good. Um, so Frank, you've you've uh, you've written a number of books, uh, working on books. Tell me about what you've been publishing and what you're working on. Mm-hmm. The first book that came out of the process that um, uh, I did with these 20 companies and the two uh, business schools, right, resulted in the first book, think of it as a report from that process called Scaling Up Corporate Startups, was published 2018. It's not completely wrong what is in there, but five years is a long time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I published the uh, add-on, the um, uh, Lean Scale-Up, right? This is when the brand name hit the public. Uh, some three years ago, and it basically gives some insights into the solution, right? Obviously, this year, and there will be a follow-up, creating, making that framework actionable for the practitioners, and also presenting a lot of case studies, right? I think that's what people are looking for. Okay, I can relate to that kind of analysis. I see yeah. the similarities to my situation. What do we? What do, do I do? All right. How do I get the ball rolling, and how do I take the middle management along, right, in that yeah. journey from now to new? New book is being co-created. So I'm working together with more than 100 of practitioners coming from all of the industries and also a half a dozen or so business schools. So there's a lot of validation going on. And I think when this yeah. book enters the market somewhere in, in, in fall, winter, it will be basically a, a real solid guidance for the practitioner who's looking for creating new businesses. Yeah. You know, the uh, the uh, some authors get to write something and it just it's just a rock and it stays for 10, 20, 30 years. You don't have that luxury because as you said, this whole space is still evolving, right? It, it is uh, 3% is a, is a low number. And, uh, you know, as, as you figure your way around the 3%, you're going to keep learning and keep changing, keep evolving. So that's why you, I'm, I'm glad to hear you keep refreshing the material. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. Uh, we will definitely put these books in the show, the show notes, links to these books, so people can, yeah, can find them. Yeah. Was there anything we missed, Frank? That at this point you'd say, "Geez, we should have talked about this, Paul. You didn't, you didn't ask me, or we didn't." Uh, one thing, I mean, uh, the, the, the audience may ask. Okay, I understand that the company decides to to launch its own startup, right? There might be uh, one person with a lot of energy convincing senior management. There might be a great idea coming from entrepreneurship programs or uh, the R&D folks where right, created breakthrough technology. Now, how can we be, make a business out of that? That's the one track, the corporate startup track. But obviously, there's a second track, right? The company working together with these greenfield startups, right? the uh, startups outside. And the question might be, does this apply to the world of external startups as well? And the good news is, mm. yes, it does, right? Case in point, uh, one of the, um, I mentioned BP, right? I helped BP to design BP Launchpad, which is their scaling up factory. And uh, when you looked at the um, portfolio of companies that were being scaled up, right, with uh, basically state-of-the-art uh, approaches by BP Launchpad, you actually found more external startups, greenfield startups, than internal startups, right? But the logic, how you uh, go through the validation steps, how do you conduct the scaling up, etc., is this very, very same. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would yeah. like to add that um, part of the story then, Paul. 
Yeah, I'm glad you did, Frank. Great piece. Well, we could talk for hours, but I really appreciate you sharing some of these these concepts, Frank. This is really, really great. It's a great launching pad. And um, you know, if people want to learn more, uh, obviously we'll have links to the books, but how do they follow you? How do they track what you're doing? How do they get involved with you? Yeah, first of all, there's uh, um, leanscaleup.com, right? That's our website with the blogs and the framework and everything you would expect uh, from that. And uh, my, my main platform is, is um, LinkedIn. So yep. please do connect with me on, on LinkedIn and publish regularly on LinkedIn. We also have yep. monthly discussion forums with practitioner. And if you look, uh, I always do a report out of what we discussed. So for instance, last topic was how do you maintain stakeholder perseverance over a long period of time, right? Yep. And there was some great stuff in here. And obviously, if if we're connecting on LinkedIn, this gets right into your feed. There you go. There you go. So you are you are a person that definitely should be connected to. So uh, maybe after this, uh, our session goes live, you're going to get a lot of requests. Okay, looking forward. <laughs> Which wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that, Frank. I think I would love to have you back on the show as you get closer to to launching your, the next book. Uh, so, in the when when you're ready for that, let's 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 share that with the with the listeners and kind of kind of you know. Yeah, exactly, and maybe even have a kind of panel discussion with uh, clients, yeah. right? Who went through that um, uh, process in here and what yeah. did you learn and, and these kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, great let's idea. Look forward all. to that. Look forward to that. Well, Frank, thanks for stopping by. This was a great discussion. We will put links in the show notes to all the things we talked about. And well, I could say let's keep in touch, but I know we're keeping in touch uh, outside of this because because uh, even I'm looking at your your next book and some pieces and parts to it. You've you've graciously offered uh, me the chance to participate in that along with the others. So thanks for that. Thanks for having me, Paul. So I hope you all enjoyed that. That's a great discussion. As you could tell, Frank is uh, really, uh, as I began with, a thought leader and a practitioner and has some great advice. Reach out to Frank, connect with him, follow what he's doing, engage him in your company's discussions. I don't think you'll regret it. Really solid guy. Uh, and as you know, as you heard, he's uh, he knows what he's talking about. I wish you all a great week ahead. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.